0: Hey everyone, this is Chad Arms, the pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about communication. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to tell you something that's really exciting. In the last year, our sermons have been listened to over 11,000 times on different podcast hosts. That's a pretty remarkable number, and we're really thankful for that. It's our goal that that number would continue to go up, though, and one of the best and easiest ways to make that happen is if you would leave us a rating and or review on whatever podcast host you're listening to this on. We would really appreciate that. As I say a lot, we think that our content is helpful to people and we want more people to hear it. And so please, if you have been impacted in any way by our sermons, please, please, please leave us a rating and or review. We would really appreciate it. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. Well, we got home on Thursday night, and we parked down at our garage, and we... I don't know why, I might have just, maybe I was just being rude, I'm not sure how this happened, I wish I had an explanation as I thought through this story, but I was walking up the stairs by myself, and I left Bren downstairs with the kids, uh, and so I don't, I, it just, it reflects badly on me, it was probably just me being rude or something, I don't know, but I, I started, I'm thankful for it, because I started to come up the stairs, and uh, something, I, I don't know how to explain this even, but something smelled different, not bad, not you know, good, just it just had like a di- there was just a different smell, like something and I don't even know what my home smells like normally I couldn't identify what my house smells like now, maybe i I'm wondering if it smells because I, I, I thought this is not right, and, and then you kind of have to come you come up and the only thing you can see is the bathroom when you come up our stairs, uh, the downstairs bathroom and then and then you I took a left and you you come into our living room and the door is wide open, and it's totally dark in our house, and you can imagine my heart went like, just like this, and I'm looking around like, am I getting a sucker punched or whatever, and uh, and it was interesting for me just because I knew something was out of place. I was glad my kids weren't up there with me. Turns out, uh, it, this is not the, I'm gonna tell a better story, but uh, if you wanna know how the, it ends up, basically we remembered that when we left, I thought Brynn was gonna come out the front door and she had gone to the garage, and so I had driven down and left the door open for her, and uh, there was nobody in the house. After I checked it with my golf club, uh, I was ready, uh, and, and so we figured out what happened, but as I thought about that, and then I thought about uh, my sermon, I was reminded of this this time, and I may have told this story in a sermon before, so you have to forgive me if I did. but uh, I was driving from from Oklahoma to Oregon with my cousin because he was coming out here for an internship at Intel, and he needed his car for the summer. He wanted to have a car. He didn't want to have to rent one for the summer. And so we were driving back, and uh, we were trying to do it as cheap as possible, and we connected with like a friend of a friend of a friend in New Mexico, and, and so we're going to stay with this person that we don't know at all. I, I think I had a name and an address, and we don't know anything else. They were, you know, it was a good friend that said, hey, I think this guy's, you know, reliable and safe, and go stay with him, and, and so we're driving through uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, which we had never been before, and we're following the GPS, and it, it's, you know, when you don't know where you're going, it's kind of a wild ride, like where are we going to end up, and so we, we we turn a corner and we're in this bad neighborhood and we say audibly to each other, I really hope that we're not close to where we're staying right now. And we turn again and we turn again and we turn again and the neighborhoods are getting progressively nicer until all of a sudden we get in a neighborhood that is, that is very, very nice. It's a nice neighborhood. And at the very end of the street that we're pulling into, there's this house that is giant and kind of looks like a castle on the outside. And, and we're, you know hundred yards away. And I say, I hope we're staying in that one. And sure enough, we're staying in this like big, nice castle of a house. The guy was super welcoming. The family was very nice. Everything was great. It was a nice home to stay in and all of that. But and we didn't say this to each other until the next morning when we were driving off. There were little things that were just out of place. We had never been there before, and so it's not like we knew this room normally looked like this or whatever, but there were certain things in this house that you could just tell they were out of place, and, and as kind of a, a result of that, it made us wonder what had gone wrong at some point in time. Like, let me give you an example. the This beautiful, nice house, right, and then on the back deck was just all of this furniture that looked like it was weather-worn, and like somebody had just shoved all this furniture out on the back deck and just left it there at some point in time, even though the house, again, like this was not a hoarder, this, I mean, the house was well kept and clean and all of those things, and then in this room off of the kitchen, we noticed that there was, was birthday decorations that were hanging up, and, and the birthday decorations looked like they had been there forever, like something about them was worn, and like, I think maybe it had, like, you know, when the sun's on something, like it was sun-worn down, And, and it was very strange. We didn't say a word about it, and the next day, we got in the car, and we said, something was out of place there. Something was not right, and and out of that, we, we, we conjured up this, in, this story that we have no idea. I don't know this man. I'll never find out if this is true. But, you know, we were like picturing somebody had died on, at a birthday party of a heart attack. And, and maybe it was the wife because there was no wife in the house. And just this man. And, uh, and, and so we were picturing that she had died. And, and he just didn't have the heart to ever tear down the decorations. We didn't know. But we knew that things were out of place. And out of that, we knew that, that something had gone wrong. We didn't know what it was. And, and here, let me just turn a corner and say, uh, I, I think this is something that we intuitively know. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, I think that you understand that that bad language, we gonna use that in a very broad sense this morning, bad language is out of place for Christians. Here's how I know this. I have a unique insight into this. Uh, this happens frequently, but the time I remember it, the Uh, That was the most staggering to me was uh, golfing with three people and uh, I was just the add-on sometimes if you want to golf alone they'll put you with a another group and so I I wanted to play golf and I there was this threesome and and we I got on the group and I'm playing with them and we're a couple holes in and these guys are swearing up a storm they have foul mouths and then this question comes that always comes and I know it's going to change everything it's what do you do for a living I say, I'm a pastor. And this guy's like, oh, I don't usually talk like this. I'm really sorry, like, I'm gonna do better. And like, he's confessing all of a sudden. It's like, it's okay. We're, I'm gonna, I'll still play golf, I'm having it, it's fine. And, and, and so I know that, I don't know if this guy was a Christian or not a Christian or whatever, but he instinctively knew what I think we all know, and that is that there is language, bad language, that is really out of place for Christians. And it points to something that I, I, I think like this house in New Mexico pointed to. Like, if that language is present in a person who is a Christian, then it probably suggests something is wrong. And we've kind of seen that in the series so far. I mean, the first two sermons, basically my whole point was that, that the mouth reflects what's in the heart, and, and bad language reflects that something is wrong in the heart. And so here, here's my, just my proposition for the day. Bad language is out of place for Christians and I think we kind of know that right like there's a reason that we say you shouldn't cuss in church you know like it it just seems like it's out of place something is off when, when our language isn't right but but here's I think the the important question and I think if we don't answer this question then it will never it being out of place will never affect our language it won't it won't make any difference if we don't know the answer to this next question here's the question It's so simple, right? Ready? Why is it out of place? And I think that's where most people have never thought beyond, well, bad language is out of place for Christians, but nobody, most people never stop to go, why? Why is it out of place? If you're a Christian, you've you've maybe never thought, why is it out of place for me? Why should my language be different than, you know, the guy that works next to me at the office that that hates Jesus? I mean, why should it be different? If you're not a Christian and you're looking at Christians, you're like, hey, I think their language should be different. But have you ever thought, like, why do I think their language should be different? What What is it about them? What is it about language that kind of makes that true, that bad language is out of place for Christians? And And here's what's what I think is cool, you can tell me if you agree later, but, but what I think is cool is in this one passage, Paul does this incredible thing, the Apostle Paul writes this letter and, and that we're going to look at, and in this letter, he answers that question, why bad language is out of place for Christians, but at the same time, he shows us how our communication can be better, it's like two sides of one coin, he's like, this is why it's, it's out of place, but let me tell you how you can make it so that your language is in place, is in line with what you believe as Christians. And this is how he starts in Ephesians 4, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This word unwholesome translates a Greek word that more literally, and I like this word picture a lot better, it more literally means rotten, and it's a word that is actually used for vegetables or fruit or meat. And, and this begins to kind of show us what Paul is talking about. I, this is a funny story. Uh, this is, I wish I could say I was making this up. But I, I, I was going to bring a fish that's frozen and, and use fish as an illustration. But I was like, ah, it's not really rotten and and I want to eat it later. Uh, and, and so I grabbed this ugly looking thing in the back of our refrigerator to demonstrate rotten to you. And when Bryn came in today, she goes why'd you bring our salad dressing? <laughs> so apparently this is just Italian seasoning. Uh, you you sh- can just play along. Uh, it kind of mixed together in my defense as the morning went on. But uh, anyway, so so you have these things in your fridge. And in fact, just the other day, I, I, every Monday, the kids and I go shopping. And and, and, and we like to buy shrimp. I don't know why my kids like to buy shrimp, because I, I think I'm the only one that eats it, but they like the idea of eating shrimp, and so we usually get shrimp, because I like shrimp, and and the other day, I brought shrimp home, and I was cooking it, and then I had the wrapper, you know, they put that thing around it at most grocery stores, paper wrapper, and I threw it in the garbage, and Brent was like, you can't leave that in there, because even the wrapper is going to stink, and, and what Paul is saying here is, it's nothing about salad dressing, but, uh, but what Paul is saying is that, that our, our language as Christians should not be rotten. It should not be dead and gross and all of those things. In fact, he says that nothing that is rotten should come out of our mouths, and that's a very simple point, but it matters for this series. It's super clear. We as Christians, we who are Christians should never ever communicate things that are rotten, but what what does rotten mean, right? I mean, it's not like your, your speech stinks like apparently my house does, but, uh, but it's this. Don't let anything bad come out of your mouth, and immediately you might jump to bad words, right? Like, well, that's what he means. He means swear words. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind, because listen to the context. Listen to what he contrasts that with. He says, don't let anything foul, rotten come out of your mouth, but instead... Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Rotten shrimp, rotten anything salad dressing that looks gross. It has no benefit for people, right? Like I, I thought about bringing milk. I thought about every rotten thing that I've ever experienced. If you ever tasted bad? Orange juice in the fridge. You can picture any of it that has grossed you out most recently, but that's stuff's no good for anybody. Uh, it's very, I don't know if anybody ever has successfully taken a drink of, of uh, rotten milk of, of milk that's expired and and known and not known it was expired and not spewed it out right like that is the just the natural it just like it just comes right out you can't help it that's just the end of the milk it just you spew it and then you think man now I, I have bad milk and I can't drink my cereal eat my cereal and I have to clean up my kitchen floor this is a horrible morning that we're having and, and Paul he's he contrasts that with words that build up that are beneficial to say in the second way he says that are beneficial to for others and so what he means by by rotten communication is communication that has no value for other people i would say that the communication that he says should never come out of your mouth is communication that is unhelpful and or hurtful if your communication is unhelpful or and or hurtful then you are doing something that is out of place for Christians. This word for build up, and, and I'm going to give you just in this, these first, this first verse a bunch of Greek words. I'm sorry for it. I won't do it the rest of the time. But, but this word that translates built up is a word that was used for building a house. It's a construction term, and I, I think that that's a beautiful, I don't like mixed metaphors, I've said that in sermons before, but Paul does this mixed metaphor thing, and I, I think it's really helpful because, because what he says is that when we talk, when we communicate, the filter that we should run it through is, is this unhurtful, uh, unhelpful and hurtful, and if it's yes, then don't say it, but what should we say? We should say things that are not hurtful and helpful to others that build them up, Um. I brought this, my daughter made this at the uh, Wilsonville block party the other night, great event next year, if you have kids you should be out there, Um, but Hazel made this, Hudson didn't help, And, and one of the cool things that I really like seeing in my daughter that's so much fun is that, just in kids in general, not just my daughter, even though you know that I think very highly of her, like just in general, one of the cool things to watch in a kid is how they go from only being able to destroy things to a place they come to a place where they can create things they go from being completely destructive to constructive in some ways and and hazel needed help obviously but she was able to put some of these nails in and put this together she she is learning how to put outfits together she's very coordinated and she's getting better at that when we build stuff together like with blocks she builds now and, and Hudson still just knocks it over I'm afraid he'll be like that till he's 30 but Uh, But Hudson just knocks things over, where Hazel has now developed, this is so beautiful to watch, she now can can make things, she can create things, she can construct things. And, And what Paul says is so interesting, is that our language should be constructive and not destructive, because I only like one metaphor, not mixed metaphors. Our language should be constructive and not destructive. How sad would it be, and I'm sure this exists and and there's handicaps that lead to this, but how sad would it be if a kid never turned a corner and learned to be constructive versus destructive, but a lot of Christians get stuck in their language, it never changes for the better, and they spend their lives hurting people, saying unhelpful things instead of saying things that are going to build people up, things that are going to benefit people. But there's this, uh, just this thing that I think is so interesting that's important for us to pay attention to. He says according to their needs. It builds them up according to their needs. And, and other translations translate it like this fits the occasion or according to the needs of the moment. This adds a level of difficulty to communication, does it not? I can train myself to have canned answers and always say things that sound good, but the call here from Paul is to say good things, to say constructive things based on the needs of the person in the moment that they are currently living. I I don't know, maybe this is just me, but have you ever been around Christians that just, it's like they memorized a Bible? verse and and whether it's fitting or helpful to you in a situation they just kind of give you the bible verse you know like here it is this is what i have for you and that's not what paul's talking about any of us can learn to say oh, you know when somebody dies oh they're in a better place but is that the helpful thing in that moment to the person who is listening that's harder and so he says that we need to, to stop saying destructive things and start saying constructive things according to the needs of the person that it may benefit those who listen. And here's, I think this is just, just the simplest thing that we could possibly think about when it comes to communication is what you're communicating benefiting the person that you are communicating to, I think if we just one question for this whole series that if we kept it in our minds, we thought about it every day, we we filtered every email and every Facebook post and every conversation, everything that we say, if we filtered it through that lens, is this beneficial or not, then we would be in a much better place as far as communication goes and so the first thing I think that Paul says is that bad language is out of place for Christians because because it's opposite of what God has done for us bad language is out of place for Christians because it tears down instead of building up and just one more thing here that's really important um that last word that I just talked about benefiting others it's actually uh, connected it is it's more literally give grace And when you hear grace connected to anything Christian, right, like your mind goes to something much better, much bigger than just, oh, that was kind of helpful advice. Paul isn't saying that we just offer helpful advice. What what he's saying is is that we benefit others by speaking grace into their lives. If you're a Christian, you already know this, so forgive me. but, But if you're not a Christian, maybe you don't know exactly what we believe as Christians. We, we are Christians because we came at some point in our lives to believe in a story that we call the gospel or the good news. It's the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, and the story is simply this. God looked down from heaven. He saw that we all did things that warranted punishment. We all did things that separated us from him. We call those things sin. And instead of saying, "Well, let's just zap them and send them to hell and start all over," God looked down and said, "No, I'm going to do something about this." And he came down in the person of Jesus. Jesus lived sinlessly. Without any flaw in his morality, He lived perfectly. And then at the end of that perfect life, he was brutally tortured, beaten, and executed. And he did that. He allowed for that to happen because he was paying the punishment of those same sins, those things that separated us from God. And then three days later, he completed the task by coming back to life. And and Paul says, hey, when you communicate, Don't be destructive, be constructive. And constructive means you're looking at the situation a person's in and you're saying, how can I speak grace into their lives? How can I speak something into them that is in line with what Jesus has done for us? That's a big idea. Bad language is out of place for Christians because it tears down instead of builds up. But now Paul's going to add upon this. And immediately he's just going to say, bad language is out of place for Christians because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is kind of mysterious to many of you sitting before me. We talk about God the Father. We talk about God the Son, Jesus. But oftentimes, at least in our kind of Christian heritage, we don't talk much about the Holy Spirit. And we don't have time to dive deeply into that today, but... I would just like to just tell you a few things that the Holy Spirit does. When you become a Christian, he comes into your life. He indwells you. What that looks like in a literal, physical sense, I have no idea. But in the spiritual sense, it means he comes into your life in a way that that does several things. It guides you, helps you to know what is right and wrong. It convicts you when you're doing wrong. And it comforts you when you need comfort. But there's this other thing, and that's this. It guarantees your future In perfect relationship with God In perfection The Holy Spirit acts as a seal And the seal says look you're sealed You are sealed you have been promised to God You will spend eternity with God The Holy Spirit comes inside of you as a Guarantee that you are A Christian and that you because you're A Christian will get to live in Heaven someday that's one of the Holy Spirit's roles I like the Holy Spirit based on Those things And when Paul says, don't make the Holy Spirit sad, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, say, yeah. If God sent His Spirit to live inside of me, then I don't want to upset that Spirit. I want to be in line with what that Spirit wants for me. And what's so interesting about the things that Paul describes as grieving the Holy Spirit is that none of them. And and I'll go through them. None of them are hard to connect to our communication. In fact, two of the things are about our communication. But the other ones so easily connect to the things that we communicate. Listen to this. First, he has three motivations for bad communication: bitterness, rage, and anger, which is virtually a synonym in the Bible for uh, rage. But think about that. Think about the times in your life when you said the worst things, when you've communicated the things that were the most destructive, when you've used your words to destroy people. Often it comes out of Anger, or sometimes you're not even angry in the moment. You're just bitter from something that happened a long time ago. That we don't think about as often, right? If there's somebody that you really struggle to to be nice to, that you struggle to say good things to, I would I would just encourage you to look back and say, is there something a long time ago that they did that I haven't forgiven them for? Maybe I thought I forgave them for it. Maybe you know I I don't feel angry anymore, but have I actually? forgiven them for that thing, because I think you'll find that often, if you're saying mean things towards somebody, or about somebody, to somebody, then you you probably have some bitterness inside of you, or you're just really, really angry, so he says, look, you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, so don't do these things that that are beyond just our communication, but definitely filter or factor into the things that we communicate, but he also gives us these two forms of Bad communication Brawling Which we think of fighting But the Greek word Sorry I said I wasn't Going to do that again But the Greek word Actually refers More closely to shouting That's harder for me I've been mad I raised my voice uh, I, I've been in one fight In my entire life Anything that you could Call a brawl Derek Warnier Put me in a headlock In fourth grade And that was the end Of our fight The teacher broke it up And saved my life And, and we went on And became friends Immediately again um, <laughs> That was it uh, And that's the only time I've ever brawled, and I don't think you can call it that. I just call it getting beat up, but that's the only time that ever happened. But I've yelled and been mad and raised my voice. And here he says, this is, I hate this. I don't like this, but it's it's just here. It's like this. This grieves the Holy Spirit. And then Slander. Slander is like, you know, to utter maliciously false statements or, about somebody. Or it can even be taken just to, to utter mean statements about somebody. These are, these are the most, some of the most destructive things we can do, right? We, we, can, we can look at somebody and yell at them and make them feel small. And we can, we can talk badly about them, say cutting mean things to them and it will tear them down, not build them up. I think there are people in front of me, I know that I have moments, and I've shared them before, where people, you, me, we've had words said to us that we just, we can never forget, and our self-value, our self-worth is still, maybe it's just a little chip, but it was chipped, and we'll never get that back because somebody said that one thing that one time. And then, and then he uses this word malice, which is just a generic term for bad, and it probably encompasses all the things he said before. He's like, hey, you, you grieve the Holy Spirit when you do bad. You grieve the Holy Spirit when you communicate bad, and you communicate badly. Bad language is out of place for Christians because it grieves the Holy Spirit. Uh, And then, I mean, notice these last two things. They're so good. He, He even says, hey, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And there's a positive side. Be kind and compassionate. I mean, if we could just ask, is this beneficial for people, right? But also, if we could ask, is this kind and compassionate towards the other person? How much would that change the way that we communicate? Just ask that. You can pick one of those two questions, whatever one you need. But, I mean, you go, is this beneficial? Is this kind and compassionate? Because it grieves the Holy Spirit when kindness and compassion are not at the center of the things that we do. Now, I don't know if you've thought of this yet because you're sitting in church. But later, if you, if you come back to this sermon and you're trying to live it out, I know the thought that you would have because it's probably the thought I would have. Like, yeah, 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 Chad. That's great. I'd say beneficial things. I'd build them up but they're idiots, you know, like, they're just so, I mean, if you knew them, like, how, how in the world can I, you know, say, I mean, they're just so stupid, you know, I mean, and and here's, here's what I think, I think that a lot of times we communicate badly because we feel a sense of intellectual or spiritual superiority over another person, And, and we can look at the things that they have done and say, wow, you're just so stupid, you're an idiot, you're so sinful, you're so, you know, godless, whatever, and, and, and then we, we have this excuse. I think it's the way we rationalize. I can communicate mean, destructive things to them because of what they have done. And I think it's like, it's like Paul has heard us think that. And he says, hey, I want you not to grieve the Holy Spirit. And by the way, if you're looking for an excuse, I want you to forgive. That's fine, but this is harder. Just as Christ forgave you. Just return your attention to that gospel story again, that God looked down from heaven and then He came in the person of Jesus. I mean, we had, we had all just turned our backs on Jesus. We had rejected God in every way. We were morally filthful. We were enemies of God. That's what it says in the Bible. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us so that we might be forgiven for our sins. Everything that I just described about the gospel, it can be summarized in, in just this, God forgiving us for our sins. And he looks at us and says, hey, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Here's a list of things that will. And we go, well, they're so so dumb. They're so morally, you know, not even close to my level. Like, how can I be kind to them? And then he's like, just forgive like Jesus forgave you, which is everything. And if you think that you're morally superior to somebody else, you have to remember that God is perfect and you are are you. You may not even believe in sin, but you know that you're not God and that you have not lived in a perfect way, morally speaking. And he forgave you. And and, and I just, I want to read this because it feels important to me. In my dark, and this is true of me, and some of you know some of the things I've been through, but there's been plenty of hurt like all of you have experienced. And, And I wrote this, in my darkest days of bitterness, rage, and anger, days when I wanted to shout and slander, a single thought kept coming to me. I forgave you. You must forgive them. That's real for me. There's been moments where I just wanted to tell the world how bad certain people were. There's been moments where I wanted to yell at people. I wanted to do more than yell. I wanted to yell things that, would, that, go, that were out of place for, for a Christian. And, and God just always seems to whisper in my ear, think about how much I forgave you you have no right not to forgive them. And when we forgive, when we truly forgive, then it changes our communication and it allows us to communicate in a way that is not out of place for Christians and does not grieve the Holy Spirit. Bad language is out of place for Christians because it doesn't align with the gospel. It doesn't align with what we believe as Christians. And I think I said earlier that non-Christians, they go, it's out of place for you. I think this is the one that they know intuitively. Like, hey, you claim to be a Christian, but you talk like this. That's not in line with what you people believe. That's not in line with that story about Jesus that I know you believe, that you hold to, that you've given your life to. Bad language is out of place for Christians because it doesn't align with the gospel. This next part's connected. This weird thing happens in English translations of the Bible. Uh, We get a new chapter, but the thought isn't finished yet. And so in in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, it says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. It says, hey, follow God's example. And by the way, What's the example? It's the gospel again. It's the the gospel. This is about a lifestyle that follows Jesus. The life of Jesus is an example for how to live. Now, we're not going to do all the things that Jesus did. We can't do everything that Jesus did. We cannot feed 5,000 men plus women and children. I don't think we can anyway with just a couple of loaves of bread and a handful of fish. We will not die for the sins of the world. We can't do that. But when it comes to Jesus day to day, Events, his life, the things he did, it is our call as Christians by God to try to align ourselves with his example. The things we do should be motivated by the same things that motivated Jesus. And so when it comes to communication, when it comes to the motivations for communication, we should do our best to look like Jesus. I've already said in this series that Jesus was quick to listen and slow to speak. Every time somebody approaches him, it seems like Jesus just starts with a question. What do you want me to do for you? He didn't need to do that. He knew. I mean, what do you think? People would say like, hey, what do you think? He's like, what do you think? (laughs) That's a great strategy. You should try it sometime. What do you think? And if we're going to communicate good, then we must communicate like Jesus. Man, I, don't, I, I think this would be an incredible study, and actually, uh, I was Googling for you know, Jesus communication stuff, and, uh, and I stumbled upon this, this like little lesson. It was a Bible study, I think for some kind of class, I'm not sure, but it, but it just had the, the students, whoever they were, going through and reading through the Gospel of John and then answering a series of questions about the conversations that Jesus had. And I think that'd be a great series. I could probably find it again if you want to do that. It'd be a great thing to do, a great study. But man, as I thought through the Gospel of John, and I was thinking about the conversations Jesus had, there's so many in John that are so powerful that I think we would do well just to know these stories, but also, not just to know these stories, but to embrace them in every way, but then to think about how we communicate through the lens of these stories And I'm not going to read them all I mean, I'm not just going to give The briefest version of them But in John 4 4 through 26 Jesus has this encounter With this woman at the well She's a Samaritan woman So he's not And culturally speaking Supposed to be talking to her For a couple of reasons She's a woman And she's a Samaritan And he's a Jew It's all kinds of a mess And he has this conversation with her And it is so beautiful to read it Just through the lens of conversing It's beautiful to read it He asks her questions He listens down to the smallest details, his responses are for her benefit, but they're tailored to her exact situation, he doesn't drop in some canned answer about what the kingdom of God is like from one of his sermons that he's already preached, he says, look, this is how you need to hear this, and so I'm going to say it to you in this way, so that you may be built up, because I want to construct something great into your life. There's this story about the life of Jesus that, that you can read in John 8, 1 through 11. And there's this woman caught in adultery. You may know this story. And they're ready to stone her and kill her. And Jesus, he starts riding these things in the sand. And, and a lot of people guessed that it was the sins of the men who were about to cast the, sen- the stones at this lady. And, and it, it just has this beautiful line. Like, where is everybody? And, and she's like, they've left. And he's like, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. It's like such just it's so simple, right? But it's so constructive. It doesn't just say like, hey, keep on with your life, you know, like no big deal. He, he likes his, he speaks truth and he speaks it in love and it's kind and compassionate and real. It's so, it's, it's magnificent. This one, you know, not as powerful of a story to me, but just that Jesus would do this. In John 11, 17 through 27, his buddy Lazarus has died and he shows up and he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead, right? And so for me, you just just go get it done, you know? Like, just raise the guy and no big deal. But there's this conversation with Lazarus' sister, Martha, and, and he's offering her comfort. And while he's offering comfort, he's also teaching her bigger truths about, uh, about the resurrection. And it's so cool to see how he's both, I just, as I read it through the lens of conversation, he's like speaking specifically into her situation, but then he's teaching her something that is so gracious and so important about the resurrection and his part in the resurrection. Oh, and this one I love too. In John 21, 15 through 19... After Jesus has come back from the dead, he has a conversation with Peter. You need a little background information. Before Jesus died on a cross, he said to his disciples, you're all going to betray me. And his buddy Peter is like, there's no way. I'll go to war with you. There's no chance I'm going to leave you behind. I will fight to death with you, Jesus. And then Jesus is arrested, and Peter does this horrible thing. He denies publicly and vehemently three times even knowing Jesus. I don't even know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And and then he weeps. He weeps. Jesus comes back from the dead, and you got to think like for Peter, uh, he's excited, but also there's probably like a little bit of shame there, right? I mean, it's the elephant in the room. Are we going to talk about this thing? And Jesus calls Peter away. And he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he asked this question three times. And, and Peter, this is what's so fascinating about it. Peter's actually offended by the question because he's like, You know I love you, Jesus. And how much would that hurt, right? If you abandoned somebody and they came up to you and said, Do you love me? And you said, Yes, I'm really sorry. And they're like, No, do you love me? Like you can you can be Peter in that moment without much imagination. And, and so so he says it three times, and then he tells him to feed his sheep. And what I love about the story is that often in the Bible, it's the heading of it, the heading of it is Peter reinstated. This conversation isn't about Jesus, it's about Peter. And it's Jesus building Peter back up so that he can do a task that is huge. And that is be the first leader of the church. That's a big deal. Listen, Jesus doesn't always tell people what they want to hear. He's not always soft with people. In fact, sometimes he comes across really harsh. He always speaks truth, but he always speaks words that are beneficial to the person listening, and it's always full of grace. He speaks differently, I love this, depending on his audience and their needs, and he speaks out of kindness and compassion with total forgiveness in his heart. And and if we are going to speak in a way that is in line with the Christianity that we who are Christians hold to, then we need to try to follow the example of Jesus. Bad language is out of place for Christians because it deviates from the example of Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. The next two verses are actually a new thing thought for Paul there it's a new section if you were outlining this book all of a sudden Paul turns a corner he's kind of focused on something else and so normally if I was preaching on on the passage I just preached on uh, then I would just kind of stop there but the next two verses while there there's a different Five behind them and Paul's kind of shifting gears they're about communication and so I figured we should talk about them while we're doing this series Here's what Ephesians 5 3 and 4 says but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality Or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people Nor should there be any obscenity foolish talk or coarse choking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving Verse 3, I mean, that's really easy to agree with. We, I mean, if you know nothing about Christians except about the morality of Christians, you probably know that we have different sexual ethics than the average person, the, the non-Christian, the non-religious person. It uh, doesn't mean it's always upheld, but we believe in a different sexual ethic. We, we did a whole sermon series on greed. It's one of the seven deadly sins that the church recorded at some point in history. And so we'd go, yeah, of course, of course, of course. But where I see Christians, even some, especially younger Christians, start to embrace something that is very out of place is maybe when it comes to the things that we say we should not speak obscenities, foolish words, or coarse jokes. Now, here's what's interesting about these three words. The only time for all three of these words that they're used in the New Testament. And that makes them a little bit difficult to try to understand exactly what they mean. There's some usage outside of the Bible of these words. But, but for the most part, it's hard to grasp how Paul means each of these words. And, and here's what I can hear you probably wouldn't make this excuse to me, but in your head, this is, this is where I see it going. You look at these three words and you try to find a way that they don't apply to the things that you want to say to be funny or to fit in or whatever. And so I want to give you just the general ideas behind these three words and what they mean. But, but I really hope, I mean, kind of one of the burdens from this sermon is that you wouldn't walk out of here going, I could get around that. Because what we know is that language is super cultural, Right? Like what is okay in one culture is not okay in another. If I was preaching a sermon in England right now, I couldn't say bloody, but here I can say it and we're all okay and and nobody's going to go home offended or anything like that. But if I was preaching in England, that's like the most foul word that you can possibly say. And and can you imagine that it'd be like me dropping an F-bomb here on stage? You'd leave with a different perception of me, a different idea. And so language is, I mean, it's even English, it's, it's all over the place and it's, it's, it's contextualized and you have to think through the filter and so it's so easy, I know, to walk out of here and go, yeah, but some people don't think it's wrong. But I would hope that you would take an honest examination of your language, given everything that we've already seen in this sermon so far, right, and say, do these things fall under the category of, of what Paul says we must avoid because, did you see it there, because they're out of place for Christians. The first is obscenity. It means shameful or indecent language. In Colossians 3 8, uh, there's a, a connected word that actually is translated filthy language there and I think I've already given you the easiest example that most people would agree on in our culture and that is the f-word <laughs> I think that that we could pretty easily say we shouldn't say the f-word as Christians it's vulgar in meaning it, it's it's seen as bad by most people it, it, you don't let your kids say it right and so you already have some connection to uh, the obscenity of that language the the next one is foolish language or speech of a fool There's a ton of Old Testament passages, verses devoted to foolishness and how bad it is. In some ways, it's almost synonymous with being godless. Foolish language is language that is void of God's wisdom. And one uh, author kind of said this, it's idiotic, absurd, or blatantly meaningless. It might be speaking in ignorance or without self-control, blabbering on or saying things that are just, just wrong. And then coarse joking, this refers to vulgar, lewd, crass, or foul-mouthed humor. Uh, Paul is condemning dirty or mean-spirited joking. I literally didn't know this was in the Bible until now, but I've kind of felt it in my soul. Aristotle used the word for humor that was somewhere between buffoonery and boorishness. You can tell that he wrote a long time ago. Um, But the days of the New Testament, it was used for off-color jokes. Uh, I, I'm just going to give you two examples that I think this might outlaw. Ready? Uh, the first, this is from my high school days. Your mom is so fat. <laughs> I think, you remember those jokes when that was a big thing? It was everywhere. I think that, that probably we shouldn't do that because it's mean spirited. And, and, and this one has kind of gone through the generations, I think, and you might know what's coming. That's what she said. Uh, I think that that humor is not appropriate or in line with, with what Paul is talking about when he talks about course joking. Uh, Another author said this, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking are ways we reinforce or court a godless lifestyle. These three categories cover everything from vulgarity to defiance of God and innuendos. It is evidence that sin has taken up residence in their minds and that shame is being honored and embraced. It is a way to play with sin. Sin." G.B. Caird says, where vice, I love this, where vice is regarded as amusing, The practice of it comes easy. It's out of place, Paul says. Bad language is out of place. Notice the end because it doesn't demonstrate a thankful heart. He says He says these things, these coarse jokes, this foul mouth stuff that you have, the reason that it exists is because your heart isn't thankful to God in the way that it should be. James talked about that in the passage we looked at last week, right? Should praise and, and mean stuff, bad communication, should it come from the same spring? No, it shouldn't. And when you have a foul mouth, when you speak things that are not in line with, with what we believe as Christians, that are out of place for Christians, then it demonstrates that your heart is not as thankful to God as it should be. Now, okay, it's out of place. We got it for several reasons. But what's so cool about this passage, and I'm just going to finish with this, is that he says, look, here's why it's out of place. But in the midst of it, and maybe you are reading between the lines, he says, here's how you can get your language to be put in its place, back in place, if you are a Christian. Communicate to build up. Offer grace. That's number one. Communicate to build up. Offer grace in your language. Communicate to build up. Offer grace. Number two, communicate what the Holy Spirit leads you to communicate. Here's the reality for most Christians. We kind of know when we should and shouldn't say something because the Holy Spirit is guiding us. Now, we still say stuff that we shouldn't say, but I think that right before you scream that thing at that person in the car because they cut you off, something in the back of your head is saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, and then then it comes out, and you go, I shouldn't have done it. But communicate what the Holy Spirit leads you to communicate. Communicate in a way reflective of the gospel. Number three, communicate in a way that is reflective of the gospel. Does what you say align with what Jesus has done for us? Number four, communicate in a way that lines up with the example of Jesus and his conversations. And number five, communicate thankfulness. One of the things I've been convicted about in my own language for a long time, far before this series, is that I just don't talk about Jesus enough. Like, in everyday conversation, I'm not trying, I'm not saying, like, I need to walk up to people at Starbucks every week and say, let me tell you the gospel, and you're going to hell if you don't do this, or whatever. I just mean, like, in my everyday conversation, if Jesus is a important to me as I think he is, as I claim he is, then why don't I just talk about him more often? Why do I talk about sports more frequently than I talk about Jesus? Why am I so quick to share uh, the, about a, a documentary that happened this morning that I just watched when I'm so slow to talk about the things that Jesus has done for my life? I'm not talking about being a weird Christian. That's not my goal in life. But I am talking about being a person that's so thankful that it just spills out of my mouth how thankful I am for what Jesus has done for me. Bad communication is out of place for Christians, and so I would hope that when we leave here this morning, when you leave here this morning, you would ask, is my communication in line, in place, with the Christianity that I subscribe to if I'm a Christian? And if it's not, then I hope you would leave here and and say, okay, how can I apply these five things that Chad has read to my life so that I can be a good communicator? Bad communication is out of place for Christians... So let us who are Christians become good communicators. Let's become godly communicators. I'll pray that you'll do that. Lord, I just, I know for me, God, uh, every now and then old Chad sneaks in, I'll tell a joke and I'm sorry for that. Um, I know that, uh, that Lord, I, I didn't even know this was here to talk to people about it. Some of the, these words that you say is, are out of place for, uh, for a relationship with you. And, and so I, I just pray, God, that now that we know, that we would communicate in a way that is in place, that is uh, right, God, for for our relationship with you. Lord, I uh, believe, Lord, that there are people in front of me, people who will listen online that haven't given their lives to you. They're not Christians. And I pray that you would bring them into a relationship with you. I did my best, God, today to share the gospel story in a clear way. And I pray, God, that they would believe that story by your... Uh, supernatural power, and they would embrace that story, Lord, and then uh, with their will, they would give you their lives. Uh, I think that changes everything for them. It, it will change uh, their eternity for sure, God, but it will also change even their communication now, and, and God, I pray that, that, you know, our church, I think if all of us, everybody that went to this church would say, I'm going to be the best communicator, the most godly communicator I can be, then our church would be known, uh, for how loving and gracious and kind and compassionate we are. Because so much of how people view us as individuals and us corporately, God, is through our communication. And I pray, God, that we all would communicate, would communicate, God, in a way that lines up with your gospel. That is constructive and not destructive, God. That is gracious, uh, that pleases you and doesn't, doesn't grieve your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, I know that that certain people will just be convicted, and I pray that you turn that conviction into action. I never preach a sermon so that people can feel good or bad, Lord. You know that I preach it so that people will make a change that lasts into eternity, and I pray that this morning you would help people to make changes, and I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.